Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. A short message for grown-ups. If you get value from our podcast and would like to support the work we do, please consider subscribing to Sleep Tight Premium. You'll get access to all episodes of the Sleep Tight Relax and Sleep Tight Stories podcasts ad-free and to other subscriber-only content, including bonus episodes, guided meditations, and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit sleeptightpremium.com to subscribe or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi friends, this is Cheryl, and welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax. Sounds, music, and stories for calming, busy minds. In this episode, I am going to share the Campfire Girls of Rose Lawn, Part 5. In this episode, the girls find out what is making that strange banging noise upstairs. They return home and start to work on an idea for the upcoming bazaar that might win them a jacket. And Jessie talks to her father about the girls. Before we do our sleep time routine, Let's make sure you have a comfortable environment for comfort and sleep. Make sure the lights are down and you have found your comfortable place, your favorite position in bed. You might position your pillows or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. Remember, no distractions, no notifications. Now that you are in bed and comfortable, close your eyes and start taking slow, deep breaths. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. As you do this, begin to pay attention to how your breath flows in and out of your body. Doesn't it feel so wonderful and calming? As you exhale, imagine exhaling everything 
that happened during the day. Imagine breathing in peacefulness. Visualize little bubbles of air containing relaxation and calm, traveling to all parts of your body and filling it up completely. You feel so calm and peaceful and relaxed right now. Continue taking these slow, deep belly breaths. Paying attention to the sound of your breath, it's almost magical. Your whole body is alive and feels so good. You know this breath is very special. It's part of the energy that flows in and out of us. And by working with our whole body, it keeps us feeling so good inside and out. Take another deep breath in and out. Allow the breath to fill up your whole body now and enjoy as the energy goes into each and every cell, each and every muscle of your body. Imagine that your happy breath is bringing a big, beautiful smile to every place in your body. Does that feel good? It feels good to me. Take a few more deep breaths. special, but listening to our story with your eyes closed. Campfire Girls, Part 5 Jesse Norwood tried to remember that she should set little Henrietta a good example. She should not show panic because of the mysterious noise in the loft of the abandoned Carter house. But as the thrashing sounds continued, and finally the cause of it came tumbling down the enclosed stairway, and bumped against the door that opened from the kitchen, Jessie screamed almost as loud as Amy. Amy Drew, however, ran out 
into the rain. Neither Jessie nor the little freckle-faced girl were dressed properly for an appearance in the open, not even in as lonely a place as the clearing about the old Carter house. To tell the truth, Henrietta kept on eating and did not at first get up from the table. Aren't you scared, child? demanded Jessie in surprise. Course I am, agreed the little girl as she kept on eating. The banging continued at the foot of the stairs. Amy was shrieking for her friend to come out of the house. But Jessie began to be ashamed of her momentary panic. I'm going to see what it is, she declared, approaching the door. Maybe you won't see nothing, said Henrietta. It might just be the wind. You won't see nothing, just feel cold fingers touch you, and a chilly breath hits the back of your neck. I declare, exclaimed Jessie, that sounds bad enough. She looked about for something to carry with her, for the sounds behind the door panels seemed to suggest something very material. There was a long hardwood stick standing in the corner. It might have been a mop handle or something of the kind. Jessie seized it and with more courage again, walked towards the door. Bang, bang, thump. The noise was repeated. She stretched a tentative hand toward the latch. Should she lift it? Was there something unusual on the stairway? She saw the door tremble from the blows delivered upon it. Whatever it is. To punctuate her observation, Jessie Norwood lifted the iron latch and jerked open the door. It was dusky in the stairway, and she could not see a thing. But almost instantly, there tumbled out upon the kitchen floor something that brought a shriek from Jessie's lips. Ah, cried Henrietta, did it bite you? Jessie did not stop to answer. She grabbed her skirt drying before the fire and wrapped it around her bare shoulders as she ran through the outer door. She left behind her, wiggling all over the kitchen floor, a pair of black snakes. The fighting snakes hissed and thumped about, wound about each other like a braided rope. Probably the warmth of the fire passing up the chimney had stirred the snakes up, and it was evident that they were in no pleasant frame of mind. What is it? cried Amy Drew, standing in the rain. It's snakes, Jessie declared, looking fearfully behind her and in at the door. She had dropped the stick 
with which she had so valiantly faced the unknown. But when the unknown had become known, and Jessie had always been very much afraid of snakes, all the girl's valor seemed to have evaporated. Mercy, gasped Amy. What's going on in there? Hear that thumping, will you? They're fighting, I guess, replied her friend. Where's Hen? She's in there too. She didn't stop eating. At that, Amy began laughing hysterically. She can't eat the snakes, can she? She shrieked at last. But maybe they'll eat her. How many snakes are there, Jess? Do you suppose I stopped to count them? Dozens, maybe. They came pouring out of that dark stairway. Where is the child? Demanded Amy, who had come up upon the porch and was now peering in through the doorway. The sounds from inside continued. Amy craned her head around the door jam to see. Goodness, mercy, child, she shouted. Look out what you are doing. You will get bitten. The noise of the thrashing stopped, at least the larger part of the noise. Henrietta came to the door with the stick that Jessie had dropped in her hand. I fixed them, she said calmly. Ugh, I just can't stand snakes. I always get them black ones. They ain't got no poison. And I shut the door, so is there any more coming? They won't come down. You can come back to dinner. Well, you darling, gasped Jenny. Her friend leaned against the door jam while peal after peal of laughter shook her. She could just put out of her hands and make the motions at the freckled little girl. She, she, she... For pity's sake, Amy, you'll have a fit or something. She, she, she didn't even stop chewing, Amy got out at last. Bless her heart, she's the bravest little thing, Jessie declared shakingly. We two great big girls should be ashamed. I guess you ain't so much acquainted with snakes as I am, Henrietta said sliding onto the bench again. But I certainly am glad it wasn't Carter's ghost. But, cried Amy, still weak from laughing, it was the ghost. Of course, those snakes had a home upstairs there, probably in the chimney. And every time anybody came here to picnic and built a fire, they got warmed up and started moving around. Therefore, the ghost stories about the Carter House. Your explanation is ingenious at any rate, admitted Jessie. Ugh, they're still moving. Are you sure they will not bother us, Henrietta? That's the trouble with them snakes, said the child. They don't know enough to keep still. I got them good. But Amy could not bear to sit down on the bench again until she had taken the stick and pushed the snakes out of the house. 
The rain was diminishing now, and the thunder and lightning had receded into the distance. The two older girls ate very little of the luncheon they had brought. It was with much amazement that they watched Henrietta absorb sandwiches, cake, eggs, and fruit. She did a thorough job. Isn't she the bravest little thing? Jessie whispered to her friend. Did you ever hear the like? I guess that girl we saw was her cousin, all right, said Amy. How she did fight. At that statement, Jessie was reminded of the thing that had been puzzling her for some days. She began asking questions about Bertha, how she looked, how old she was, and how she was dressed. She's just my cousin. She is as old as you girls, I guess, but not so awful old, Henrietta said. I don't know what she had on her. She ain't as pretty as you girls. Guess there ain't none of our family real pretty. And Henrietta shook her head with reflection. What happened to her that she wanted to leave that dreadful woman? Asked Amy now, as well as her chum, taking an interest in the matter. There wasn't a thing happened to her that I know of, said Henrietta, shaking her head again. But by the way that lady talked, it would happen to her if she got a hold of Bertha again. How dreadful, murmured Jessie, looking at her friend. I don't see how we can help the girl, said Amy. If I could just think who that skinny woman is, or who she looks like, but how she can drive a car. I think we can do something, Jessie declared. I've had my head so full of radio that I haven't thought much about this poor child's cousin and her trouble. What will you do, asked Amy. Tell Daddy. He ought to be able to advise. That's a fact, agreed Amy, her eyes twinkling. He is quite a good lawyer, of course. Not so good as Mr. Wilbur Drew, but he'll do in a pinch. When the two girls paddled back up the lake after their adventure at the old Carter house, Henrietta squatted in the middle of the canoe and seemed to enjoy the trip immensely. I seen these sort of boats going up and down the lake and they look pretty. Me and Charlie and some of the other boys at Dogtown made a raft. But Mr. Foley busted it with an axe. He said we had no business using the coal cellar door and Mrs. Foley's bread mixing board. So we didn't get to go sailing, observed the freckle-faced child. Almost everything the child said made Amy laugh. Nevertheless, like her friend, Amy felt the sadness of the little girl's situation. Perhaps with Amy Drew, this interest went no farther than sympathy. Whereas Jessie was already, and before this incident, puzzling her mind regarding what might be done to help Henrietta and improve her situation.
The girls paddled the canoe into a broken landing just below the scattered shacks of Dogtown, and Henrietta went ashore. It was plain that she would have enjoyed riding farther in the canoe. If you see us come down this way again, Amy said, run down here to the shore and we will take you aboard. If Mrs. Foley will let you, added Jessie. I don't know what Mrs. Foley will say about the strawberries. I told her I'd bring home some if she'd let me go over there. And here I come home without even the bucket. It is altogether too wet to pick wild strawberries, Jessie said. I wanted some myself, but we shall have to go another day, and you can find your bucket then, Henrietta. The friends drove their craft up the lake and in half an hour sighted the Norwood place and its roses. Everything ashore was saturated, of course, and in one place, the girls saw that the storm had done some damage. A grove of tall trees at the head of the lake and near the landing belonged to the Norwood Place. It was a landmark that could be seen for several miles and from almost any direction on this side of Bonwit Boulevard. As the canoe swept in toward the dock, Amy cried aloud, Look! Look, Jess! No wonder we thought that lunder was so sharp. It struck here. The thunderstruck? repeated Jessie, laughing. I am thunderstruck then. You mean, oh, Amy, that beautiful great tree. She saw what had first caught Amy's eye. One of the tallest of the trees was split from near its top almost to the foot of the trunk. The white gash looked like a wide strip of paper pasted down the side of ruined timber. Isn't that too bad? said Amy, staring. But suddenly, Jessie drove her paddle deep into the water and sent the canoe in a dash to the landing. She fended off skillfully, hopped out, and began to run. What is the matter, Jess? shrieked Amy. You've left me to do all the work. Mumsy! gasped out Jessie, looking back for an instant. She was scared that the lightning would strike the house because of the radio aerial. Her friend came leaping up the hill behind her, having moored the canoe with one hitch. She cried out, No danger from lightning if you shut the switch at the set. You know that, Jessie. But Mumsy doesn't know it, returned the other girl, and dashed madly into the house. She had forgotten to tell her mother of that fact, the safety of the closed receiving switch. She felt awful. Suppose her mother had been frightened by the thunder and lightning? Mumsy, Mumsy, she cried, bursting into the hall. Your mother is downtown, Miss Jessie, said the quiet voice of the parlor maid. She drove down in her own car before the storm. Oh! She wasn't here when the lightning struck? No, Miss Jessie. And that was some thunderclap. Cook says she'll never get over it, but I guess she will. 
Bill, the gardener's boy, that it struck a tree down by the water. So it did, Jesse rejoined with relief. Well, I certainly am glad Mumsy wasn't here. It's all right, Amy, she called through the screen doors. I am glad. I thought it was all wrong by the way you ran. Now let's go back and get our rugs and the rest of the junk out of the canoe. And, oh, me, aren't I hungry? Jessie ignored this oft-repeated complaint, saying, We should have remembered about the bazaar committee meeting. Mumsy would go to that. Do you know, Amy, she thinks she can get the other ladies to agree to have the lawn party out here. Here? In Rose Lawn? agreed her friend. Right here on our place. How fine, said Amy. But, Jessie, I wish I could think of some awfully smart idea to work in connection with the lawn party. That lovely, lovely sports coat that Letter Blair has in the window has taken my eye. I saw it, Jessie admitted, and the card said it goes to the girl under 18 who suggests the best money-making scheme in unusual channels that can be used by the Bazaar Committee. Yes, it's lovely. Let's put on our thinking caps and try for it. Only two days more. And if we win it, shall we divide the coat between us? No, we'll cast lots for it, said Amy seriously. It is a beautiful coat. That evening after dinner, Jessie climbed upon the arm of her father's big chair in the library. Sitting there and swinging her feet just as though she were a very small child again. He hugged her up to him with one arm while he laid down the book he was reading. Out with it, daughter, Mr. Norwood said. What is the desperate need for a father? It is not very desperate, and really it is none of my business, began Jessie thoughtfully. And that does not surprise me. It would not be the first time that you have shown interest in something decidedly not your concern. Oh, but I am concerned about her, Daddy. A lady in the case, huh? A girl, like Amy and me. Oh, no, not like Amy and me, but about our age. What is her name and what has she done? Bertha, or perhaps it isn't Bertha, but we think so. Somehow it seems to me you have begun wrong. Who is this young person who may be Bertha, but who probably is not? Jessie told him about the missing girl then, but it spilled out of her mouth so rapidly and so disconnectedly that it is little wonder that Mr. Norwood, lawyer though he was, got a rather hazy idea of the incident connected with the strange girl on Dogtown Lane. In fact, he got that girl and little freckled Henrietta Haney rather mixed up in his mind. He found himself advising Jessie to have the child come to the house so that Mumsy could see her 
Mumsy always knew what to do to help such unfortunate girls. And you think there can be nothing done for that other girl? Jessie asked rather sadly. Oh, you mean the girl you saw in the automobile? Well, we don't know her or the woman who had her, do we? Uh, no, though Amy says she thinks she has seen someone who looks like the woman driving that car before. Hmm, you have no case, declared Mr. Norwood in his most judicial manner. I fear it would be thrown out of court. Oh, dear. If your little acquaintance could describe her cousin so that we could give the description to the police or broadcast it by radio, said Mr. Norwood laughing. Jessie suddenly hopped down from the chair arm and began a pirouette about the room, clapping her hands as she danced. I've got it! I've got it! she cried. Radio! Oh, Daddy, you are just the nicest man! You give me such fine ideas. You evidently see your way clear to a settlement of this legal matter you brought to my attention, said Mr. Norwood quite gravely. Nothing like that, nothing like that, cried Jessie. Oh, no, but you have given me such a fine idea for winning the prize Mumsy and the other ladies are offering. I've got it, I've got it. And she danced out of the room. Whether Jessie actually had it, as she proclaimed or not, she kept very quiet about her discovery of what she believed to be a brand new idea. She did not tell Amy even, or Mumsy. That would have been against the rules of the contest. She wrote out her suggestion for the prize idea, sealed it in an envelope, and dropped it through the slit in the locked box in the parish house, placed there for that purpose. It was not long to wait until the next evening but one. She rode down to the church in Mumsy's car, an electric runabout, and waited outside the committee room door with some of the other girls, and not a few of the boys of the parish or there had been a prize offered, too, for the boy who made the best suggestion. I am sure they are going to use my idea, Belle Ringold said with a toss of her bobbed curls. Did we introduce you to Belle? By this speech, you may know she was a very confident person, not easily persuaded that her own way was not always best. She not only had her hair bobbed in the approved manner of that season, but her mother allowed her to wear long, dangly earrings. Belle thought she was wholly grown up. They couldn't throw out my idea, repeated Belle. What is it, Belle? asked one of her friends. She can't tell, put in Amy, who was present. That is one of the rules. Bah, scoffed Belle. Guess I'll tell if I want to. That won't ruin my chances. They will be only too glad to use my idea. Dear me, drawled Amy, laughing. You're just as sure as sure, aren't you? Miss Seymour, the girl's English teacher in school, 
came to the door of the committee room with a paper in her hand. A semblance of order immediately fell upon the company. We have just now decided upon the two suggestions of all those placed in the box, the two prize ideas, and both are very good, I must say. Chippendale Truro, is Chip here? Yes, ma'am, said Chip, who was a snub-nosed boy, whose chums declared all his brains were in his head. Chip, I think your idea is very good. You will be interested to learn what it is, girls. Chip suggests that all the waitresses and saleswomen at the lawn party wear masks. Little black masks as one does at a masquerade party. That will make them stand out from the guests. And the committee are pleased with the idea. Chip gets the tennis racket in Mr. Brill's show window. Crikey, Chip, how did you come to think of that? demanded one of the boys in an undertone. Well, they are going to be regular road agents, aren't they? asked the boy. They take everything you have in your pockets at those fairs. They ought to wear masks. Miss Seymour began speaking again. The girl's prize, the sports coat at Letter Blair's, goes to Jesse Norwood on whose father's lawn the bazaar is to be held on the afternoon and evening of the 4th of July. At this announcement, Belle actually cried out, What's that? Hush, commanded Miss Seymour. Jessie has suggested that a tent be put up. Her father has one stored in his garage, and that her radio set be placed in the tent and reconnected. With an amplifier, the concerts broadcasted from several stations can be heard inside the tent, and we will charge admission to the tent. Radio is a new and novel form of amusement and, the committee thinks, will attract a large crowd. The code is yours, Jessie. Well, isn't that the meanest thing, said Belle. Did I hear you say something, Belle? demanded Miss Seymour in her very stern way. Well, I want to say don't say it, advised the teacher. The decisions upon the prize ideas are arbitrary. The committee is responsible for its acts and must decide upon all such matters. The contest is closed. And she walked back into the committee room and closed the door. Well, isn't she the mean thing, exclaimed one of those girls who like to stand well with Belle. I am sure your idea was as good as good can be, Belle, Jessie said. Only I happen to have the radio set, and everything is rigged right for my idea to work out. Oh, I can see that it was rigged right, snapped Belle. Your mother is on the committee, and the lawn party is going to be at your house. Oh, yes. No favoritism shown, of course. Oh, cat's foot, exclaimed Amy, linking her arm in Jessie's. Let her splutter, Jess. We'll go to the dainty shop and have a George Washington Sunday. I'm afraid Belle is going to be very unpleasant about this thing, sighed Jessie as she and her friend came out of the parish house. 
As usual, commented Amy. Why should we care? I don't like to have unpleasant things happen. Think of the new coat, laughed Amy. And I do think you were awfully smart to think of using your radio in that way. Lots of people, do you know, don't believe it can be so. They think it is make-believe. How can they when wireless telegraphy has been known so long? But after all, this is something different, Amy said. Hearing voices right out of the air? Well, you know, Jess, I said before I thought it was sort of spooky. Ha 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 ha, giggled her chum. All the spooks you know anything about personally are black snakes. Don't forget that. And how brave that little hen was, sighed Amy, as they sat down to the round glass table in the dainty shop. I never saw such a child. I was trying to get Daddy interested in her and in her lost cousin. If that was her cousin whom we saw, Jessie returned. Come to think of it, I didn't get very far with my story. I must talk to Daddy again. But Mumsy says he is much troubled over a case he has on his hands, an important case. And I suppose he hasn't time for our small affairs. I imagine that girl we saw doesn't think hers is a small affair, observed Amy Drew, dipping her spoon into the rich concoction that had been placed before her. Oh, yum, yum. Isn't this good, Jess? Scrumptious. By the way, who is going to pay for it? Oh, my. Haven't you any money? demanded Amy. Well, you suggested this treat. But you should pay. You won the prize coat, giggled Amy. I never saw the like of you, exclaimed Jessie. And you say I am not fit to carry money and all? Have you actually got me in here without being able to pay for this cream? But haven't you any money? cried Amy. Not one cent. I shall have to hurry back to the parish house and beg some of Mumsy. And leave me here? demanded Amy. Never. How will you fix it then? asked Jessie, who was really upset and could not enjoy her Sunday. Oh, don't let that nice treat go to waste, Jess. It does not taste nice to me if we can't pay for it. Don't be foolish. Leave it to me, said Amy, getting on her feet. I'll speak to the clerk. He's nice looking and wears his hair slicked back like the patent leather. Lovely hair. Amy Drew, behave. I am. I am behaving right up, I tell you. I am sure I can make that clerk chalk the amount down until we come in again. I would be shamed to death, Jessie declared, her face flushing almost angrily. For sometimes, Amy did try her. I will not hear of you doing that. You sit down here and wait till I run back to the church. Oh, you won't have to, interrupted Amy. Here come some of the girls. We can borrow... But the girl who headed the little group just then entering the door of the dainties shop was Belle. The three who followed Belle were her particular friends. Jessie did not feel 
that she wanted to borrow money from Belle or her friends. I hope you enjoyed this story and have a deep and restful sleep. Sleep tight. <laughs>